So we're on Canto 7, Chapter 10, Verse 50 right now, and then we'll get into Varnashrama in the next chapter. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya, Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya, Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya, Om Ajnana Tamarandasya Jnanandana Shalakaya Chakshura Militam Yena Tasmai Shri Gurave Namaha. So chapter 50 reads, uh, Exalted persons like Lord Shiva and Lord Brahma could not properly describe the truth of the Supreme Personality of Godhead Krishna. May the Lord, who is always worshipped as the protector of all devotees by great saints who observe vows of silence, meditation, devotional service, and renunciation, be pleased with us. And the purport says, the absolute truth is sought by different persons in different ways, yet he remains inconceivable. Okay, so people look for Krishna, but he's inconceivable. Nonetheless, devotees like the Pandavas, the Gopis, the cowherd boys, Mother Jashoda, Nanda Maharaj, and all the inhabitants of Vrindavan do not need to practice conventional processes of meditation to attain the Supreme Personality of Godhead, for he remains with them through thick and thin. Therefore, a saint like Narada, understanding the difference between transcendentalists and pure devotees, always prays that the Lord will be pleased with him. So this distinction between uh, transcendentalists, as, as the word says, and um, let me just get my notes here. Okay. Um, and pure devotees is, is an important distinction. So, there's, there's many spirit, uh, not meant, there's spirit, different spiritual paths that are mentioned in the Vedic literature. And some of the practices are mentioned in the verse, so silence, doing meditation, being renounced, performing austerities, and then the one in the middle there, devotional service. And the purport is making that distinction between those who do other processes and the a uh, completely pure process of pure bhakti. And this is explained Rupa Goswami, Anyabi Lashita Sunyam, Kana Karma Anabritam Anupuyena Krishna Anushilana Bhaktiutama that that there's these different Vedic processes that include karma and gan. And the devotee has to make sure that those things don't cover um their bhakti because it's really Bhakti Amam Abhijananti, one understands Krishna only through bhakti, through devotion. Um, and so what we try, one thing that we try to do, I mentioned this yesterday, Henry, in the class with the Institute, is we try to um, understand and appreciate and follow in the footsteps of those who really have bhakti. And some of them are mentioned here. In the purport, the Pandavas, the Gopis, the cowherd boys, Madhya Shoda, Nanda Maharaj, all the inhabitants of Vrindavan. And for them, they don't need to practice the, Kalpa's using the word conventional here, um, process of meditating on, on the impersonal Brahman or anything to attain spirituality. And so a, uh, well, here's a few more devotees. Good. Um, and so that, so the, process in Krishna consciousness uh, in bhakti is a lot of it is involved with 
um, getting inspiration from those who have bhakti. And therefore, Prabhupada, therefore, a saint like Narada, understanding the difference between transcendentalists and pure devotees, always prays that the Lord will be pleased with him. Okay. So when it says practice conventional processes, in this case, it's talking about things other than bhakti? Yes, yeah. And, and, and you know, yeah, it's, it, one really has to know the context a little bit to know what it's referring to. <coughs> because, you know, it's a choice, it's a word choice, because you could say bhakti is conventional, you know what I mean? But here Prabhupada is trying to distinguish it as you know, almost conventional as mundane or rote, whereas bhakti is dynamic and transcendental. And also, um, bhakti is not formulaic, as it were, like you're dealing with a person, Krishna, and, you know, sometimes spiritual people, like they said, well, I got up, I got up early in the morning, or I did this, or I chanted so many of that, and that's nice, but it's not that, you know, Krishna just, you know, has his um, calculator out there and says, okay, well, Henry, you know, okay, so you, you, you got up late one day this week, so I'm only going to give you so much. It's, it's a relationship. So, yes, we do follow um, even a, you could even say a regimen, but it's not, um, it, it's with the means of increasing our bhakti and not just an ends in itself. Does that, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and, and bhakti really is shown by our activities that are done with devotion. But it is bhakti, that's the difference between meditation and bhakti. Meditation, you're sitting there and you may be thinking about your breathing or even the Lord in your heart, but you're sitting there. And the difference between that and bhakti is bhakti is active. It's just like, you know, in a, um, in a relationship, say, between uh, a husband and wife, you know, the, you know, if, if either spouse says, I, I love you, but, you know, do they, do they uh, take care of you when you're sick? Do they uh, take out the garbage sometimes? Do they uh, cook? Do they, you know, um, you know, do they talk to you when, you, when you're down? Do, do they do something to show that they love you? <laughs> or is it just some, you know, is it, it, it love also is a, it's, love is a verb. It's not, you know, we, we, we use it as a noun and, 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 you know, it's sometimes portrayed in, uh, Hollywood or, or, and in Bollywood for that matter, almost as a noun. Like, well, it had nothing to do with me. I just fell in love. Um, and that may be some initial thing, but real love, anyone who's, you know, like, uh, let's see, at least, uh, uh Andy and I guess now Ananda Rupa and Jiva, um, and, um, uh, Shakshi is getting there. Anyone who's been married a long time knows that, you know, you don't get away with just saying, uh, I love you and then don't do anything. It's, it's, it's a give and take in that relationship. And similarly with Krishna, it's, it's a give and take. And, uh, we don't just say, I love Krishna, but, you know, do I chant? No. Do I do anything? Do I take care of devotees when they're sick? Do I, do I go to class? No, nah, I don't do any of that, but I love Krishna. 
So these devotees that have been mentioned in the purport, uh, they were active lovers of Krishna, the Pandavas, the Gopis, the cowherd boys, Madhya Shoda, etc. Is that helpful at all? I guess I expanded more than just your question about conventional. <laughs> yes. Okay. Andy, you have a different backdrop today. Are you on vacation somewhere? You're on mute. No, I let my cat have the couch. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's a himza, you know. Yeah. I <laughs> on the couch. He got there first. <laughs> uh, okay, so let's uh, move on to, uh, let's see, we're going up to, hold on a second. I just want to get my list of the verses that I told you, that I asked you to look into today. And uh, I think it's 60, uh, 64, yes. Okay, so we're going to read a few uh, verses then. Text 51. My dear King Yudhisthira, long, long ago in history, a demon known as Maya Dhanava, who was very expert in technical knowledge, reduced the reputation of Lord Shiva. In that situation, Krishna the Supreme Personality of Godhead, saved Lord Shiva. Maharaj Yudhisthira said, for what reason did the, Maya, did, did the demon Mayadhanava vanquish Lord Shiva's reputation? How did Lord Krishna save Lord Shiva and expand his reputation again? Kindly describe these incidents. Narada Muni said, when the demigods, who are always powerful by the mercy of Lord Krishna, fought with the Asuras, the Asuras were defeated, and their for they took shelter of Mayadhanava, the greatest of the demons. Thank you. Mayadhanava, the great leader of the demons, prepared three invisible residents and gave them to the demons. These dwellings resembled airplanes made of gold, silver, and iron, and they contained uncommon paraphernalia. My dear King Yudhisthira, because of these three dwellings, the commanders of the demons remained invisible to the demigods. Taking advantage of this opportunity, the demons, remembering their former enmity, means dislike, uh, began to vanquish the three worlds, the upper, middle, and lower planetary system. So uh, Maya Dhanava was an architect, right? And he could um, um, create things that had uh, all kinds of optical illusions attached to them. Thereafter, when the demons had begun to destroy the higher planetary systems, the rulers of these planets went to Lord Shiva fully surrendering to him and said, my dear Lord, we demigods living in the three worlds are about to be vanquished. We are your followers. Kindly save us. The most powerful and able Lord Shiva reassured them and said, do not be afraid. He then fixed his arrows to his bow and released them towards the three residents occupied by the demons. The arrows released by Lord Shiva appeared like fiery beams enabling in, uh, emanating from the sun globe and covered the three residential airplanes, which could then uh, no longer be seen. Attacked by Lord Shiva's golden arrows, all the demoniac inhabitants of those three dwellings lost their lives and fell down. Then the great mystic Mayadhanava dropped the demons into a nectarian well that he had created. When the dead bodies of the demons came in touch with the nectar, their bodies became invincible to thunderbolts. Endowed with great strength, they got up like lightning-penetrating clouds. 
Seeing Lord Shiva very much aggrieved and disappointed, the Supreme Personality of God, Lord Vishnu, considered how to stop this nuisance uh, created by Maya Dhanava. Then Lord Brahma became a calf and Lord Vishnu a cow, and at noon they entered the residence and drank all the nectar in the well. The demons could see the calf and cow, but because of the illusions created by the energy of the Supreme Personality of God, the demons could not forbid them. The great mystic Maya Dhanava became aware that the calf and cow were drinking the nectar, and he could understand this to be the unseen power of providence. Thus he spoke to the demons who were grievously, grievously lamenting. Mayadhanava said, What has been destined by the Supreme Lord for oneself, for others, or for both oneself and others cannot be undone anywhere by anyone, whether one be a demigod, a demon, a human being, or anyone else. Purport. Um, the Supreme Lord is one, Krishna, the Vishnu Tattva. Krishna expands himself into Vishnu Tattva, personal expansions, Swamsa, who control everything. Mayadhanava said, however I plan, you plan, or both of us plan, the Lord has planned what is to happen. No one's plan will be successful without his sanction. We may make our own various plans, but unless they are sanctioned by the Supreme Personality of Godhead, they will never be successful. Hundreds and millions of plans are made by all kinds of living entities, but without the sanction of the Supreme Lord, they are futile. Hmm. So this this is a really important uh, point here from, uh, from a, you know, from the spiritual point of view that, uh, let me see, there's uh, a few points really being made here. Um, that Maya Dhanava obviously had some devotional, you know, he might have been called a, a demon, but he uh, was very conscious of Krishna's will. And and Lord Shiva also, um, you know, had previously we heard how he was kind of embarrassed by Maya Dhanava having uh, defeated him and Krishna came came to the rescue. So um, they're both seeing the plans of the Lord in, in defeat and always. Uh, that, that was what Maya Dhanava was kind of saying. Well, whether we win, whether we lose, or whether we both win and lose, it's such a, uh, what we need to remember is the is providence. And, and this word providence, besides being a place in Rhode Island, um, is, is a, a really important word to think about and understand, and Prabhupada uses it sometimes in different ways. Sometimes the time factor is compared to providence. Um, I where is that? I'll just show. Uh, I had a a question, David. You know, I think some of you know David Presta Prabhu, and he wrote me yesterday asking me a question. Um. His question was from Canto 1, chapter 14, verse 3. It says that um, he saw that the direction of eternal time had changed, and this was very fearful. And his question was, what does this mean, direction of eternal time has changed? So I wrote him, I said, uh, my understanding is that time is often used in the same way as providence or Krishna's ultimate will. And I referred David, David Prasa Prabhu to um, the ninth chapter, verses 14 and 15 of the first canto, 
where Bishma Dev, he's, he's trying to reconcile how is it possible that the, the Pandavas, such great devotees, and at the same time, they, were, they suffered so much. And Bishma says, Bishma Dev says, in my opinion, this is all due to inevitable time, under whose control everyone in every planet is carried, just as the clouds are carried by the wind. Oh, how wonderful is the influence of inevitable time. Otherwise, how can there be reverses? In the presence of King Yudhisthira, the son of a demigod controlling religion, Bhima, the great fire with, the fighter with a club, the great bowman Arjuna with his mighty weapon Gandiva, and above all, the Lord, the direct well-wisher of the Pandavas. And in that purport, Prabhupada writes that despite the power of pious acts, the power of personalities, the power of expert management, and the power of weapons under the direct supervision of Lord Krishna, that Pandavas suffered so many practical reverses, which can only be explained to be due to the influence of Kala, inevitable time. Kala is identical with Lord, the Lord himself, and therefore the influence of Kala indicates the inexplicable wish of the Lord himself. There is nothing to be lamented. Now this is, this is a, you know, how many people have written self-help books almost like based on, you know, very much in the mood of this sentence. There is nothing to be lamented when a matter is beyond the control of any human being. There is nothing to be lamented when a matter is beyond the control of any human being. And that's what is basically we're seeing here that um, Mayadhanava says the great mystic Mayadhanava became aware that the calf and cow were drinking the nectar and he could understand this to be the unseen power of providence. And whether he was seeing it as the in-person, you know, uh, what level of providence, but for us, we try to see providence, as Prabhupada just said, as uh, Krishna. And when it's something beyond your control, like Mayadhanava obviously couldn't stop these... Uh, the, the drinking of this instead of being because of the illusion created by the energy of the Lord, you know, we go ram ram and we, we say, you know, what to do. Uh, in Hindi, sometimes they say, kya kare, right? What to do? Um, and of course, you know, that, like that prayer, the serenity prayer, knowing when to say what to do and when to actually fight and get into things, that takes some wisdom. And sometimes it's both. You know, Tazmat Sarveshu Kaleshu Mam Anusmar Yudhacha. Remember Krishna? Like, like Krishna told Arjuna, he was a warrior. Remember Krishna, remember me, and then fight. <laughs> so, both, you know, so we're not, like we said a few minutes ago, devotees are active, but we don't want to be like active, like, you know, a hamster on, a, on the wheel, just running around in the rat race but we want to be thoughtful and be conscious of Krishna and then do our duty in, in a devotional way. So here, I think there's some really good lessons here. Maya Dhanava saw the unseen power of providence and, uh, and then he goes on to, and Prabhupada says, we go, we make our plans and we do our best, but ultimately we have to see if they're sanctioned by the Lord. And, a uh, and a great lesson is here, and this is a painful lesson, perhaps. But you know, it said, or at least it, my my mentor—I may have mentioned this before. 
my mentor in conflict resolution, uh, Henry knows her, Mary Rowe. Um, she has often told me that the, one of the, one of the hardest emotions to deal with is when you perceive that you've been humiliated, right? And so both, uh, in one sense, both Lord Shiva and Maya Dhanava have been humiliated here and they show the, uh, one of the great, the great gracious way to deal with being humiliated is to remember Krishna, see his hand in it and not get overwhelmed with concerns for our reputation, but just see it's the will of the Lord. I probably deserve worse. Hare Krishna. And, you know, get on with life because it can, it can really take us for a mental, uh, spin out. And it can sometimes be for days, weeks, months, you know, if we feel we've been humiliated, it's, um, it's, a, it, it brings out not the best in us. So some questions, comments, thoughts on this? Uh, yeah. <clears throat> yes, Andy. I don't, there's no evidence that, uh, Shiva, Lord Shiva was humiliated. That's to his credit. Because what really happened was Krishna took up the slack. He went along with, uh, Shiva's will, right? In other words, he backed up what Shiva said, don't be afraid. Well, it turns out they didn't need to because Krishna was going to step in right behind him. So if he was really great, he's, he didn't really feel like he was losing face because he knows Krishna is back there and Krishna agreed with his intent and made that's, it happen. Yeah. So point. that's really nice. So you're, you're saying he could have been humiliated, but he didn't. He chose not to. He, he had the spiritual wherewithal to not get humiliated. He could have felt humiliated, but actually his intention went through. He needed a little help from Krishna. From, yeah. A little help from his friend. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Thank you. Jiva Tatva or Nantarupa, Mataji? Hare Krishna, Prabhu. So again, thank you so much for the, the reflection as how one should behave when one is in this uh, position of reversal, right? Like the providence is causing things that are unfavorable. They seem unfavorable. And uh, it also reminds me as how Lord means again, he sometimes puts his devotees in difficulty to glorify the devotee and set an example for us. Bali Maharaj was, you know, he was asked three steps of land. Vaman, they asked him. And when I was reading ever since the childhood, I, you know, I had a negative feeling. But when I re read in Srimad Bhagavatam, so nicely explained by Srila Prabhupada in the purpose, is Lord sometimes puts it because he wanted to show how tolerant Bali Maharaj is. He wanted to glorify his tolerance and his dedication as a charitable person. So again, so Lord sometimes puts his devotees to glorify them. And Pandavas, when we see the example of Pandavas, then we learn that, you know, even though a devotee is being uh, put in difficult situation, they don't leave the path of religion, dharma. They yes. The right part, and that is a great lesson for us to learn. Thank you so much. Thank you. I have a a good friend of mine um, in Oxford, Shonaka Rishi Prabhu, and the way he deals with providence is he goes, "Krishna, hey, <laughs> you know, you know." And uh, my son has spent a lot of time with Shonaka lately in the last few years, and I see my son has picked up on that, you know. 
and um, just you know, like a small thing, he, he was uh, Madhvacharya Prabhu and Kunti Mataji are in England right now, and they're hoping to connect, but they're leaving back to Washington D.C. tomorrow. And so uh, I said, oh, I hope you can meet him. He says, we're going to try, but we'll see what happens, Krishna. Hey, you know, I thought, yeah, very good. We do our best and we see what happens in life. Okay, let's carry on. Uh, the next verse is something I think we were also going to talk about. Yes, 65 and 66. So Narada Muni continued, thereafter, Lord Krishna, by his own personal potency, consisting of religion, knowledge, Renunciation, opulence, austerity, education, activities. Equip Lord Shiva with all the necessary paraphernalia, such as a chariot, a charioteer, a flag, horses, elephants, a bow, a shield, and arrows. When Lord Shiva was fully equipped in this way, he sat down on the chariot with his arrows and bows to fight the demons. The purport Prabhupada writes uh, a few sentences down. Although Lord Shiva is very powerful, he lost the battle to the Asuras, and therefore he was morose and disappointed. However, because he was one of the chief devotees of the Lord, the Lord personally equipped him with all paraphernalia for war. And then uh, some real important instructions here. The devotee, therefore, must serve the Lord sincerely. And Krishna is always in the background to protect him and, if need be, to equip him fully to fight with his enemy. For devotees, there is no scarcity of knowledge or material requisites for spreading the Krishna consciousness movement. Hmm. So Krishna is there in the background. That's a nice way to, you know, or, or you know, um, at work, people will often complain, my supervisor doesn't have my back. You ever heard that, that said before, you know? Or even sometimes people say, you know, my spouse doesn't have my back, or this person, my friend doesn't have my back, like that. Um, in other words, that there, we we have a need, we have a need to be uh, appreciated and to have somebody who's, you know, uh, as they say, in our corner. I think that's a boxing analogy, right? But you know, in our like a coach, you have a, your coaches in your corner or something like that, right? Um, here, Prabhupada is writing that Krishna is always in the background. Now, he may not, for our, for whatever lesson we have to learn, he may not, um, you know, supply us unlimited things like he did with Lord Shiva. Um, he may even do the opposite. Yes, yaham anugrinami harisheta danamshna. He may, he may take away things in order for us, you know, for, for, for his own reasons and for to ultimately his reason is to bring us closer to him. Um, and then whether we have material, um, facilities or not, we can do our best to offer service to the Lord. And here specifically it's talking about spreading the Krishna conscious movement. So any thoughts about, uh, Krishna being in the background, Krishna having our back? need that that we as humans have to feel someone has our back like that yeah it's uh obviously um when times are tough it's something you gotta really 
fight to, to keep in the back of your head, like, uh, you know, the meaning of things will maybe not become clear, but at least, you know, things will, things will work out in a way where it uh, turns out not to be as bad as it seemed like at any particular time, hopefully. Right. Yeah, so we, we you know, I, I think I've said that quote many times from playing that many terrible things have happened to me in my life and luckily most of them never took place. Right? You know, um, we do cat- catastrophize in, in the mind often and we also sometimes um, uh, question other people's motives too quickly. So, we, you know, we, we have to be uh, careful about that um, and catching the mind from that snowballing effect of going down, you know, the, uh, the uh, booby trap of, of negative thought. It, 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 it's almost a defense mechanism, you know? Well, if I think the worst is going to happen, then if anything less the worst, then I'll be okay. It's, it's sometimes our mind, but it's such a spiritual practice to observe the mind instead of fully identifying with the mind. And, and so if we are, if the mind, if our mind is starting to go down that rabbit hole of, um, you know, thinking the worst case scenario, it's a real interesting practice to take a step back and think, I wonder what is it in me that pushes me to 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 catastrophe to think the worst is going to happen what what need is that fulfilling in my conditioned state the need to really? feel control yeah yeah and when you feel like you know regardless of how low probability the worst case scenario is when you have little to no control over it you know those are always I know I definitely have a tendency to go to the the darker to just meditate on the do- the darker the darkest potential consequence uh, you know right and, and what's interesting uh, Dean is that we can choose to snap out of that thinking pattern easier said um, than done though <laughs> it is easier said than done but Krishna helps if we actually get yeah, serious. And sometimes a lot of it has to do with slowing down the mind. The mind's racing at 150 mm-hmm. miles an hour and just boom, like a, like a, maybe this is giving away my age, but like a pinball, pinball game, you know, I don't know if they still have those. When I was a kid, we, I'd spend, you know, well, I'm my, old enough. I remember. <laughs> yeah. All my, all my quarters were spent on pinball games at the local pizzeria in, in New York. Um, and our mind is like, you know, bouncing back and forth like that. Um, and slowing down and being thoughtful, um, that can, that can really help. And, and I, you know, it may not, this is not a directly spiritual activity, but there are sometimes acti- uh, activities that are not directly spiritual that can help the spiritual, like doing some pranayama, doing some, breathing exercises there's a direct connection between the breath and the mind and you know maybe even doing a little mindful meditation for a few minutes before we chant or or while we're while when our mind's really caught up in negative thinking it, it starts 
getting us a little closer, at least to the mode of goodness. And we could start seeing, you know, I, I really am thinking worst case scenario here. And one actually, one interesting exercise sometimes is to think what's best case scenario and like force the mind to go in that direction. <laughs> well, I'll say one thing. Um, there's this walk I do out here. I, I drive to this place. It's, um, you know, pretty, it's about six miles and it's, you know, this pretty California type of walk and I'll just kind of like chant as I'm doing this walk and usually there's not a lot of people there so it's very tranquil and so that's a that's a long time to be kind of chanting right in in your head and I and I have to say like it is during those times where I I feel like that consistency and and the fact that there's no other stimuli coming in Mm-hmm. it's almost like sometimes it gets to a point where there's like a download going on where I feel like some something's trying to show me what, where it's how things are going to come out on the other end. You know, yeah. Yeah. obviously I'm dealing with some tough times here, <laughs> yeah, but, fair, but, uh, but it's like, that's the one time where I feel like this, not complete, but channel of communication comes and, and this clarity of, of how things can be positive and in the long run, um, you know, uh, just um, enters my mind, you know. Well, nature is more in the mode of goodness. Prabhupada liked to uh, quote that poet Cooper, uh, uh, that uh, man created the city and God created uh, the country. Side. I can't remember if you use countryside or nature. Henry, can you go on video and show us the picture of the uh, Potomac that you had before? Is that possible or are you away from your computer? Oh, there we go. So this is one place that I go a lot and sometimes and often I go with Henry and there's a beautiful path right along. <laughs> thank you, Henry. Right along the Potomac River in uh, Carter Rock. Mm-hmm. And, and it's also, <laughs> uh, let's see the, we, we usually, if you do the full loop, it takes about an hour. Um, I think it's three points something a, a miles. And it's, it's, it has that kind of effect. And I'm sure where you are in Monterey, it's some beautiful, beautiful places in that area of California. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so there are ways to, um, so, you know, the, the Potomac River in and of itself is not devotional service, but if it creates a kind of a peaceful, place where we can chant more easily and and feel a little bit away from the the mad rush of uh, looking at our um, phone 500 times a day um yeah it can be really helpful any other thoughts on this andy do you look like you're talking but you're on mute i guess i was on wasn't on mute myself yeah <clears throat> no but i i mentioned this before but the idea of getting separation with your mind at the same time, so at the same time that you're hearing your mind go back and forth, and sometimes it'll go with you, and then it'll turn the other way. It goes, oh, yeah, you are seeing Krishna really good, and then it'll doubt, right? If you just let that go on a separate track, you can still meditate on Krishna, like as a focus that's beyond that. That's what I found. Mm, yeah. Yeah, and, and, you know, and we should know it's not actually what you said, and um, um, Dean is totally right. It's not easy. Easier said than done. 
because that's what Arjuna said to Krishna. He says, Chanchala Himana Krishna. He said the mind is chanchal. It's, it's going back and forth, back and forth. And it seems it's harder to control than the wind. And imagine trying to control the wind. And, but what's really interesting is Krishna doesn't say, yeah, I know what you feel. It's too bad. No, he says, he says, nope, you can do it, but it takes, uh, abhyas and vairagya. It takes, uh, detachment from the mind and practice. Well, I can say it's, I'm in a lot greater control of it than I was before ever being, um, you know, exposed to this. So, uh, there's that. Very good. Very good. Yeah. And, and you need it, you know, cause like you, you, you've been mentioning you're going through different challenging times. And so you need that help. So let's go on. And the next, uh, well, we'll finish this chapter and then go on to the, uh, totally different subject matter about Parnashrama. My dear King Yudhisthira, the most powerful Lord Shiva joined the arrows to his bow. And at noon, he set fire to all three residents of the demons and thus destroyed them. Seated in their airplanes in the sky, the inhabitants of the higher planetary system beat many kettle drums. The demons, saints, pitas, siddhas, and various great personalities showered flowers on the head of Lord Shiva, wishing him all victory. And the apsaras began to chant and dance with great pleasure. O King Yudhisthira, thus Lord Shiva is known as Triparari, the annihilator of the three dwellings of the demons, because he burnt these dwellings to ashes. Being worshipped by the demigods headed by Lord Brahma, Lord Shiva returned to his abode. The Lord, Sri Krishna, appeared as a human being, yet he performed many uncommon and wonderful pastimes by his own potency. How can I say more about his activities than what has already been said by the great saintly persons? Everyone can be purified by his activities simply by hearing about them from the right source. Okay, so now, the perfect society for social classes. Um, and as Dean has already given us uh, uh, sneak previews, uh, how to look at these and how to understand them, and especially in a modern context, um, that will be that we will be discussing. So let's begin our journey. Sukadeva Goswami continues. So this is chapter eleven. After hearing about the activities and character of Prahlad Maharaj, which are adored and discussed among great personalities like Lord Brahma and Lord Shiva, Yudhisthira Maharaj, the most respectful king among exalted personalities, again inquired from the great saint, sage, Saint Nardamuni, in a mood of great pleasure. Maharaj Yudhisthira said, My dear Lord, I wish to hear from you about the principles of religion by which one can attain the ultimate goal of life, devotional service. I wish to hear about the general occupational duties of human society and the system of social and spiritual advancement known as Varnashrama Dharma. Now, remember, King Yudhisthira is a king and he wants to have a peaceful society. And he doesn't want to stop at a peaceful society with the following the principles of religion, but he wants them to be connected to the ultimate goal of life, bhakti. Okay, so... Um, so Prabhupada begins this whole topic by reminding us that we are eternal servants of the Lord. We are not this body. Um, one place in the purport, he says, even if one prefers to deviate from this principle, he remains a servant because that is his eternal position. But one serves Maya, the illusory material 
energy. So, how, so we, and then he says before that the real occupational duty, this is important that Prabhupada is beginning this talk about Varnashram with purports like this, the real occupational duty of the living entity is to serve God, is to serve the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And later he says, this eternal occupational duty, service to Krishna, can, he doesn't say must, but can be organized through the institution of Varnashrama, in which there are four Varnas, Brahmins, Chachis, Vaishya Sudras, and four Ashramas, Brahmachari, Grihastha, Varnaprasta, and Sanyas. Thus Yudhisthira inquired from Narada Muni about the principles of Sanatana Dharma for the benefit of human society. So Brahman, the uh, the the intellectual, uh, scriptural-minded Kshatriyas, the the managers, the the leaders, the protectors, Vaishas, the people who um, do agriculture and who do um, deal with money, and Sudras, uh, the you know what we would call blue-collar um, people that assist um, in in society. And then the four ashrams, the unmarried student, the married person, the um, person who's still married but is living a more renounced life, and ultimately the the uh, renunciate, sunyas. So we are eternal. So what this purport is saying is we are eternal servants of Krishna. That's our identity. We're, we're neither Brahmins, Chatriyas, Vaishya, Sudras. We're neither Brahmacharis, Bihasa. Ultimately, we... We're neither male or female, you know. We're, so um, we are eternal servants of God, but we can use Varnashram to help us realize that. That's what is being said here. So we'll continue uh, and then try to paint a more complete picture. Uh, text three: The best, oh, best of the Brahmins, you are directly the sons of Prajapati, Lord Brahma, because of your austerities, mystic yoga, and trance. You are considered the best of Lord, all of Lord Brahma's sons. <clears throat> so this is Yudhishthira talking. No one is superior to you in peaceful life and mercy. And no one knows better than you how to execute devotional service or how to become the best of the Brahmanas. Therefore, you know all the principles of confidential religious life, and no one knows them better than you. Srinarda said, after... First offering my obeisances unto Lord Krishna, the protector of the religious principles of all living entities. Let me explain the principles of the eternal religious system, which I have heard from the mouth of Narayan. So the system is created by Krishna, uh, and it's a religious system rather than a strictly purely spiritual one. The, the distinction is there. Lord Narayan, along with his partial uh, manifestation, Nara, appeared in the, this world uh, through the daughter of Daksha Maharaj, and known as Murti. He was begotten by Dharma Maharaj for the benefit of all living entities. Even now, he is still engaged in executing great austerities near the place known as Badrik Ashram. The Supreme Being, the Personality of God, is the essence of all Vedic knowledge, the root of all religious principles, and the memory of great authorities. O King Yudhisthira, the principles of religion, uh, this principle of religion is to be understood as evidence. On the basis of this religious principle, everything is satisfied, including one's mind, soul, and even one's body. So let's focus on the last paragraph. Therefore, from all the evidence 
the conclusion is that without bhakti, without devotional service, there is no question of religious principles. So all these lesser things like varnashrama and, and things like that, they, without bhakti, they're you know useless. God is the central figure in the performance of religious principles. Almost everything going on in this world as religion is devoid of any idea of devotional service and is therefore condemned by the verdict of Srimad Bhagavatam. Without devotional service, so-called religious principles are only cheating. So again, reinforcing, if we just are focusing on Varnashrama and yes, we should have a peaceful society and follow the rules and regulations of a Brahman, a Chatriya Vaishya, Sudra, Brahmachari, Vihastavana, Prasa, Sanyasi, that's, that, that's what's being referred to as religious principles. But if we're not connecting it with Krishna, Shrama Eva Hi So that's the first point um, uh, in, in addressing uh, what um, the prediction of, of Dean <laughs> about the uh, challenges of, of understanding this or accept or what, what speak of being willing to acknowledge it as possibly something good that without it being connected to Krishna, you know, uh, and therefore, you know, the, and we'll get into this in much more detail, and therefore the, you know, the exploitation of the so-called lower class people by the so-called higher class people has nothing to do with true spirituality. It's just that exploitation. Um, and we'll get more into this. Um, but before I continue, anything anyone wants to say before I move on? Because I am kind of building up some, you know, points here. Okay, then let us continue. Eight to twelve. By the way, I liked the. Um, if you look at the word for word in the first one, satyam, speaking the truth without distortion or deviation. And I was thinking, how far have we gotten away from satyam? I mean, if you think about it, there should be, and I don't care, Republican, Democrat, I'm not making a political point here, but there should be no need for these uh, things you see in newspapers called fact checks, right? Politicians should just speak the truth. Right, without distortion or deviation, it says here, satyam. But because the, you know, it, somebody is writing these, these speeches and wordsmithing them to, you know, and trying to, you know, whether they pacify their base, right? We hear that a lot and things like this. There's so little, we just, we're, we're accepting that there's not going to be satyam, right? We're accepting it. And, and, you know, the, the great fun, it seems of the newspapers is to just find out how many, what do they call them, Pinocchios, right? You've seen that, you know, you know, if you, if you really tell, you know, a real whopper of a lie, it's four Pinocchios, it's this big long nose, you know, and if it's a less one. Um, and then you got to fact check the fact checkers, really. Yeah, that. then you got to fact check the fact checkers, exactly. <laughs> So where is the, I, I just remember, I just happened to catch my eye on this uh, satyam, speaking the truth without distortion or deviation. And, and, and people who are smart, uh, well, smart in a devious way, they find a way to present something that can be seen as a fact, but also can, is not being, 
they're often quoting something out of context. And the quote is literal, but the context is totally different. And, you know, so it's another kind of cheating thing to kind of purposely distract. So I, I, I noted that in the word for word. And also, uh, I, I, I noted this, very interesting, Swadhyaya, do you see it in the word for word? Reading of transcendental literatures like Bhagavad Gita, Srimad Bhagavatam, Ramayana, and Mahabharata, or for those not in Vedic culture, reading of the Bible or Quran. So there's a, a shout out to Judaism, Christianity, and Islam there, uh, as also being included in Swadhyaya. Okay, now let's get into this long translation. They, these are the general principles to be followed by all human beings. So listen to this if we want to be a, a good human being. Truth, uh, truthfulness, mercy, austerity, observing fasts on certain days of the month, for example, bathing twice a day, tolerance, discrimination between right and wrong, control of the mind, control of the senses, nonviolence, as we heard uh, our uh, Andy is practicing nonviolence today by being in a different location. Um, celibacy, charity, reading of scripture, simplicity, satisfaction, rendering service to saintly persons, gradually taking leave of unnecessary engagements, observing the futility of the unnecessary activities of human society, Remembering, uh, I'm sorry, remaining silent and grave and avoiding unnecessary talk, considering whether one is the body or the soul, distributing food equally to all living entities, both men and animals, seeing every soul, especially in the human form, as part of the Supreme Lord, hearing about the activities and instructions given by the Supreme Personality of God, who is the shelter of the saintly persons. Chanting about these activities and instructions, always remembering these activities and instructions, trying to render service, performing worship, offering obeisances, becoming a servant, becoming a friend, and surrendering one's whole self. Oh, Maharaj Yudhisthira, these 30 qualifications must be acquired in the human form of life. Simply by acquiring these qualifications, one can satisfy the Supreme Personality of God. So these are the essence of the qualifications that we anyone might want to acquire and if Varnashram can help that then great that's one way to look at it purport in order that human beings be distinct from the animals the great saint Narada recommends that every human being be educated in terms of the above mentioned 30 qualities and then again kind of a shout out to um, um, interfaith we can call it Therefore, without consideration of one's belonging to a sectarian religion, whether Hindu, Muslim, Christian, Buddhist, or any other sect, everyone should be taught to become truthful. That's a, that's a powerful statement. A little later, the Lord is one, whether one is Hindu, Muslim, or Christian. Therefore, one should chant the holy name of the Lord, regardless of differences in linguistic pronunciation. A little later, everyone should also be taught to be simple in thought and feeling and satisfied in body and mind. So simple in thought doesn't mean simpleton, but 
it means um, cool-headed thinking. That's one way to look at it, anyway. Straightforward. What's that word? Straightforward. Straightforward. Very good. Thank you. And feeling satisfied in body and mind. It's so nice when the mind is satisfied. And body is satisfied by getting sufficient sleep, uh, getting good, healthy food to eat, um, getting appropriate exercise. These are the general qualifications of a human being. There is no question of a secular state or an ecclesiastical state. And let, that's, that's Prabhupada's point is that this is universal, um, these religious principles. Unless one is educated in the above-mentioned 30 qualities, there cannot be any peace. And finally, at the end, last two sentences, our Krishna conscious movement, therefore, is all-embracing. Human civilization should take it very seriously and practice its principles for the peace of the world. Questions or comments on what we just read? Why are you smiling so much, uh, Andy? Well, because Prabhupada cracked me up again, right? Editorially, he's stuck in that word simple, right? Hey, there's only 30 of them. You can count the 30, right? So piece of cake. Simply by acquiring these, comp- all those things he listed. Simple. It's Maybe simple. to him. Right? No we can probably do it no, by next week. <laughs> yeah. Simple. <laughs> 30, right? You can count to 30. It's 30 things. You just do all 30. Yeah. (laughs) Nice. Nice. So um, it took me a while to kind of wrap my head around this one um, when I was reading it last night. And correct me if, uh, you know, I'm wrong. But um, at first it sounds like almost promoting a a theocracy. But then as, as I read a little bit, more, it sounds like what he's actually, the point he's actually trying to make is that it's not important that the state actually. I'm listening, by the way. Just keep Yeah, up. yeah, yeah. Claims to dictate a particular religion, but rather that it takes those 30 qualities and promotes them without them being attached necessarily to any particular religion. Does that sound correct? Yes. Yes. Uh, that would often be the way. Prabhupada would present things. I, I, I think it's fair to say that he wouldn't be upset if everyone was a Krishna devotee. Right. But, uh, but he often would say, yes, at least, uh, everyone can develop these, these kind of, um, religious principles. And, right. And I think well, it's become pretty clear to me reading history that it just doesn't work when you try to tell people via the state to do something or be a particular way. It works when the people kind of come to that conclusion themselves. And well, well, certainly in modern days, in modern times, I think there's um, a lot to be said about that. Now, um, it's very hard for us to trans. Um, I mean, I, th- I think it's hard to appreciate other cultures uh, and other times. Ever, you know, like um, you, I try to tell a uh, a Gen Z, right, or a Gen Z, you know, someone who's like twenty years old right now, what was like uh, being born in the fifties and growing up in the sixties, and and that's just you know a few years ago, really, right, in terms of cosmic time, mm-hmm. and you know, I try to tell them how popular the Beatles were, and they say, "Who are the Beatles?" You know. 
<laughs> or whatever, you know, like that, or what it was like going through Watergate, you know, um, and, and, and they say, why did, why did Nixon resign? I mean, presidents tell much bigger lies and do much worse things now, and they just keep going. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so what to speak of, um, the Middle Ages and what to speak of, uh, 5,000 years ago, right? So, I, I definitely see, I, in other words, I'm, I'm, I'm agreeing with you, uh, in modern days, it's, uh, it's, it, it has, you know, it has its, um, it, it hasn't worked out so well, right? Um, at least, it being, it, it being what exactly? Oh, uh, um, what you were saying, imposing one way of thinking on a country or a, you know, and usually it's done at least, s- partially by martial law, right? By, by force. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I was thinking, you know, about religion specifically. I mean, even if you were to succeed in imposing via the state a religion, it's through, you know, it's clear to me that it would be pointless if the people's heart actually isn't actually in the motions of what they're being forced to do, then everything that they're doing is, is meaningless anyway. And right. And it's often, to that, it's often mixed these days with money, with, uh, um, financial things and power and politics. Yeah. 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 You know? Oh, of course. Yeah. It's not like, like in this purport, it's saying, listen, just, you know, be truthful. <laughs> and it's from this yeah. that I, I've, kind of thought that like the United States as it was originally formed, I I thought was actually quite, um, quite consistent with, um, I mean, obviously there were huge flaws, but I'm not, I'm not getting into that, you know, with the constitution and all that, but the religious freedom without, you know, necessarily dictating a religion to me is more in line actually with, a lot of what we we learn because um remember at the end of uh uh the gita but he krishna basically says now that i've told you everything go do your thing do what you will do you know it's up to you and that is sort of a manifestation of providing freedom of religion now unfortunately it seems like we yeah. are dis- we are choosing to descend into a freedom of non-religion and, and materialism but um, that that's a good point. That's a very good point. That Krishna gives that free will at the end, and Prabhupada appreciated this part about America. Matter of fact, he uh, he had stated sometimes that he wanted to become an American citizen because he appreciated very much the um, the freedom of religion and and just you know a year um, just around that time the devotees had won a uh, court case in, in um, the Supreme Court about uh, basically about freedom of religion. And so he had great, great appreciation for that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and as you're saying, it may not be always uh, play out perfectly um, in modern society. Um, yet at the same time, like uh, this week, I happened to be in um, Her- the Herndon Reston, Virginia area. And, you know, you walk down the street and you see somebody with a turban, they're a Sikh, you see somebody covering their, had their Muslim, you know, and here we are in Virginia, you know, of all places. And, uh, is it's, it's so incredibly multicultural, actually. 
Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, anything else on this? So it's so this is a really important background for when we start getting into varnashram, that these thirty qualities. Okay. So let's carry on, and uh, we're going up, I believe, to seventeen. Which one are we on now? Uh, thirteen. Thirteen. Okay. Those who have been reformed by the Karbodan ceremony. That is the uh, the rituals that are done before trying to conceive a child. Um, and Prabhupada's again taking it. Out. There's all there's there's all kinds of rituals and things to perform in, in doing that. And uh, that are kind of what we sometimes call smarta regulations, uh, different rules and regulations in the in the Vedas. And Prabhupada simplified it by. Uh, telling devotees to chant 50 rounds before trying to conceive a child. Um, those who have been reformed by the Garbhadhan ceremony and other prescribed reformatory methods performed with Vedic mantras and without interruption and who have been approved by Lord Brahma are Dvijas or twice-born. Such Brahmins, Chatriyas, and Vaishyas, purified by their family traditions and by their behavior, should worship the Lord, study the Vedas, and give charity. In this system, they should follow the principles of the four ashrams. So here we're starting to hear about Varnashram. And the wording is, is, is interesting because you do hear worship of the Lord, study of the Vedas, giving charity. Um, so it's not that the Vedic system or the Varnashram is totally devoid of bhakti, but it's not the focus exclusively. It can help lead to um, and, and, and so it, it, you know, understanding the context is really important and the words here. So, you know, family traditions, yes, important, but, you know, then we read it, you know, if for a pure devotee, um, they belong to the Achuta Gotra, the family tradition of Krishna, <laughs> right? And so it's, it's, um, it's when, when to do what, and then you hear Prabhupada saying 50% of his, Mission is to establish Varnashram and what does that mean? And then just like even on this call, we have um, devotees from uh, India who probably, especially I'm thinking of Shakshi because he's from South, South, uh, who may be very familiar with some of these rituals and things from, um, you know, being in that tradition and then how to take what they grew up with and then apply it in ISKCON and in Krishna consciousness. It's a, um, it's a, it's, it's not tricky. That's not, that's not a good word, but it takes some thoughtfulness to, uh, always keep in mind the, the power of bhakti. And at the same time, not necessarily just like say, Oh, we don't need this. We don't need these other things. And it may help us. So it takes some thoughtfulness. Um, for a Brahmana, there are six occupational duties. A chatriya should accept charity, but he may perform the uh, other five of these duties. Uh, I'm sorry, should not accept charity. A king or chatriya is not allowed to levy taxes on brahmanas, but he may make his livelihood by levin, uh, levying uh, minimal taxes, customs duties, and penalty fines upon his other subjects. And Prabhupada writes here, I just one sentence I thought was really cool. Unless a brahmana is very pure, he cannot accept charity from others. Because, in other words, 
when someone gives you charity, they're also kind of giving you some of their karma. And therefore charity has, so therefore charity is really, uh, there has to be, there really should be a Vaishnava element to it so that the charity one's giving is only being used for pure purposes, you know, either to, uh, you know, for your basic necessities or for God's service. When you say they're giving you part of their karma, can you explain that a little bit? Um, As in, perhaps, like I, I thought that if if it they're giving charity that was gained through ill-gotten means, it could be... Um, the, the laws of nature are very subtle. And um, when... Uh, uh, so when one set like like kind of like what you're saying when you accept charity especially from money that is you know ill-gotten you may be implicated to some extent in that mm-hmm. in that uh karma um if you pass it on to krishna that may be a different story that doesn't mean we should go up to you know um thieves and uh you know rogues and things and say uh you know, and make sure we only collect money from them because they have a lot of it. <laughs> but, um, and, and let's say it's gotten by very pious means. The person may be giving you some of their piety by giving, but ultimately pious and impious, the devotee wants nothing to do with karma. And therefore, um, Brahmana is allowed to accept charity for their necessities, right? Because they're performing a service to society. Uh, by giving knowledge, by um, and, and, and traditionally by by being astrologers, even sometimes being doctors and things, and, and they give that at no charge, and then accept um, charity. But um, for us, generally speaking, um, if someone because I have a job right now, um, it may be different in the future. But if someone gives me uh, a donation or whatever, giving a class, or whatever, I find some way to channel that money to Krishna. Um, if I needed the money, if I needed it to, you know, put, you know, put bread and butter on the table, uh, you know, I, uh, certainly that can be used for that purpose, right? Um, like that. Mm-hmm. So let's carry on. Go up to 17. The mercantile community, that's the Vaishas, should always follow the directions of the Brahmanas and engage in such occupational duties as agricultural trade and protection of cows. For the Sudras, the only duty is to accept a master from a higher social order and engage in his service. We'll get to that, these points in a minute. We'll just read up to 17, uh, which is, uh, we're getting close to, um, as an alternative, a Brahmin may also take to the Vaishya's occupational duty of agriculture, cow protection, or trade. He may depend on that which he has received without begging. He may beg in the paddy field every day. He may collect paddy left in a field by its proprietor, or he may collect food grains left here and there in the shops of grain dealers. These are the four means of livelihood that may be adopted by the Brahmanas. Obviously, that those few sentences don't like directly Apply, you don't see so, you don't see so many people in Reston and Herdin looking in the paddies of the field for great rice. Among these four, each of them in succession is better than the one preceding it. And then 17, except in a time of emergency, lower persons 
should not accept the occupational duties of those who are hired. When there is such a emergency, of course, everyone but the Chhatriya may accept the means of livelihood of others. So in the purport, um, Prabhupada writes, sometimes Brahmins in, in society in India protest against our Krishna conscious movement for creating Brahmins from Euro- Europeans, or in other words, from Malachas and Yavanas, which means previously like meat eaters, etc. This movement, however, is here in, supported in Srimad Bhagavatam. At the present moment, society is in a chaotic condition, and everyone has given up the cultivation of spiritual life, which is especially meant for the Brahmanas. Because spiritual culture has been stopped all over the world, there is now an emergency, and therefore it is now time to train those who are considered lower and condemned so that they may become Brahmanas and take up the work of spiritual progress. The spiritual progress of human society has been stopped, and thus, and this should be considered an emergency. Here is solid support from Narada Muni of the movement known as Krishna consciousness. So, uh, let's talk a little bit about Varnashram. Um, so, the way I see it, I'm talking about now very practical terms. Um, there's kind of like two ways one could practice, uh, one could see how Varnashram could affect one's life. One could get all to all the various details that are mentioned in the, not generally, not always, but generally not directly bhakti shastris about, you know, the, the position of women and the, and the duties of the different ashrams as we, uh, varnas, as we heard just now, um, and try and get into some of those details and see if they can be applied. Um, I would think that would be really hard to apply in the Western countries, but maybe it's there because Prabhupada did, um, suggest ways that maybe it can be done. Another way is to try to grasp the essence of Varnashram. And that is, um, well, one way to look at two, combining two things. One is community building, that you try to create a community, and division of labor. Because you can't, as we just read, you can't, we can't deny that Varnashram, which is created by Krishna, it, it doesn't have division of labor. Uh, the, but the, the difference in, in Krishna consciousness is that everyone's contribution is, is seen equally and, and respected and appreciated. As I think I've spoken of many to- a few times on, in this class. So I'm in this big building, the Department of Interior building, um, in downtown DC. It takes up two city blocks. It holds five. I think after World War II, there was like 6,000 employees in, in the building at one time. It's a big thing, right? So you might say, I do a Brahminical kind of activity, although I have a boss, but, um, you know, because I talk to people and help them deal with their problems and things like that. Um, that building would be uninhabitable in a week if there weren't people cleaning it, if there weren't people taking out the garbage, Right. If there weren't, you know, uh, all those, uh, so-called, you know, blue collar, uh, things, it would, it would, it would smell to, you know, like hell. <laughs> and it would be in, you know, and, and if they didn't do maintenance and fix things, it would just be, you, you know, the air conditioning wouldn't work or the heat or whatever. It would be, it would be a condemned building in a very short period of time. And I couldn't do my, you know, so-called Brahminical work. 
um, and and you know, uh, and managers are there, and leaders are there. Uh, you need everyone in a society. So a a simple way to look at it is it's community building, and it's community building with a division of labor, and what sociologists would call a stratification of society, um, which was seen is seen a lot more in in the East and especially then today in, in, uh, in the West where, you know, I mean, I, I would even notice like if you were going like in India, if you were going shopping, let's say for um, wood. So all the wood merchants would be in one place. Cause that, you know, you, you would kind of think that, does that make sense? You know, how do they, but that was like, you know, this was their, their occupation and they would all, you know, be in one part of, of the city. And, and there's, you know, this idea has become, of course, very corrupt because none of this is supposed to be based on birth. It's all supposed to be based on what is one's natural inclination. So, you know, if you took, uh, it's conceivable that, you know, you take someone who really likes to work with their hands and really likes to do manual labor and you put them in a suit and tie and ask and give them a briefcase and asking them to turn on their computer, like, ah, you know, you know, so we have our natural, so community, a nice way, you know, it, it's just that, you know, society is, it especially, well, all over the world, not just in America, society has labeled certain jobs successful. Oh, he's successful. He's a, he's a lawyer or she's a, uh, a dentist or a doctor, right? You know, we have, we have, uh, occupations that we've labeled as success. And I remember going to uh, uh, sometimes when I was rubbing elbows with the uh, lawyers and judges in India, and you'd go to like a, you know, we would do a training, and there'd be a you know a gathering afterwards. And they would say, "No, oh, my my son is uh, is in Switzerland, very successful." And what that means is they have a lot of money, right? That, you know, translation. So, so our, you know, our definitions of success, um, we, we would like to define, Varnashram would like to define success more as satisfaction, job satisfaction, right? And, uh, you know, again, you, you tell a person who's really a chhatriya, really wants to, you know, protect and fight and things like that. And again, you, you either, you know, um, give them a blue, blue collar, so-called blue collar job. That's another definition that we should get away from. Or you, again, you put them in a suit and tie and, you know, tell them to, uh, you know, um, uh, wash their hands with Purell every few minutes. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, uh, so I hope this is helping. Uh, so, so there, you know, and again, um, I think I brought this up before. But even if you look at a, a, a movie like Fiddler on the Roof, which supposedly took place at the turn of the last century the, uh, um, in Russia, you see Varnashram. You know, you see, you know, the, the, the boys are going off to uh, Hebrew school to learn the Torah and to learn Hebrew. And there's a matchmaker in town. And there's the, unfortunately, there's a butcher, but there's also the, the baker. And, and the women had their duties. And... and um, you know, that's where, if you listen, the opening song in is called Tradition, 
and it goes through basically varnash. It's, it's, it's actually quite uncanny. Uh, and arranged marriages, you know, and this is only 120 years ago, right? In, um, depicting that. So things have changed a lot and how to apply these chapters that we're going to be reading to 2021 in the USA. That, that will be a discussion. And I'm trying to, uh, kickstart that discussion a little bit with this, um, five minute, uh, monologue that I just did. <laughs> So, some questions, comments, thoughts? Um, I have an observation and a question. Uh, when you read this stuff, it sounds like it's far more compatible with, as you were just saying, like an older way of life, even specifically like an ancient, more ancient way of life. And this modern technological uh, society that we live in, it, it's it's almost... It, sort of um mixes everything up and and um kind of messes it up i guess and a couple of observations one it doesn't seem tenable over the long term simply from the standpoint of resources you know you can click on one news channel and they'll talk about how we have to get you know economic growth back going and then you'll flip on an, another channel and they'll say, well, we got to save the environment. And are the two even plausibly, can they plausibly be yeah. done? So what's our, what's our conclusion? Well, Tesla's right. Which who are we kidding? <laughs> they're, they're, they're luxury toys. That's what they are. No one is buying a Tesla because they want to save the planet. And, um, <laughs> and maybe that's what they're going no, no, nothing against Tesla's per se, but I think you get my point. But um, I was reading somewhere, it was one of these, just I have to admit, it was, you know, online or something, but there was someone mentioning, it was, you know, a, a Krishna type site and very interesting argument that I've now seen written a couple times that this high technology, um, these abilities that we have are actually... Um, part and parcel of Kali Yuga because we've become so absorbed in extracting the most out of material things that are, you know, we're smart. We create these creative ways of um, doing that. But I think the argument that they're trying to make, they're actually in many ways um, a regression and not progress. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, you know, they can be like, you know, we're sitting here, you're in California, I'm in Virginia and, we're able to have the, you know, these Todd Davids in, I think, South Carolina and, you know, different things like that. So that, um, we can sometimes use them in Krishna's service, but absolutely, you know, I know I've quoted before, you know, that I just think it's, it's a nice perspective, you know, T.S. Eliot in 1930 saying, distracted from distractions by distractions. And he's writing about newspapers mm-hmm. and how they're so distracting and they ruin one's peace of mind. And, you know, we laugh at that today, you know, newspapers, it seems quite innocuous compared to websites and social media and, and, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's, it, it, it creates a frenzy. Yeah. It really does. Uh, and, and it, it, I mean, it's just, uh, the, the social discourse is so unkind, 
and people will say things on social media that they wouldn't necessarily say to somebody's face and it goes out to thousands of people. It's really, you know, who, who knows what the world is, is going towards. And then you have Srila Prabhupada saying, uh, quoting Mahatma Gandhi actually and saying simple living and high thinking, mm-hmm. you know, um, and we're doing, you know, high living, simply thinking <laughs> instead. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and the, the you know he did extol the virtues of a agrarian life, but even that, where do you find an agrarian life today? How many how many thousands, not hundreds, thousands of ma and pa farms have been gobbled up by agribusinesses? Yeah, and it's 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 very clear to me that it's we're we're joking ourselves, we're kidding ourselves if we think we can reverse these some of these environmental problems without reversing without decreasing consumption which of course means reversing economic growth try to sell that you know we need we need to slow down the economy and and stop consuming you know right i mean and that's why and and therefore you know some of Prabhupada's statements rings uh i mean all of them on this topic rings so true when he would, you know, say, uh, you know, needs not wants and, and, uh, you know, um, that saintly people would, would aim for the bare necessities of life and, and, and that, uh, you know, all the, all the animal species, like a bird, if there's, if a bag of rice falls on the ground, the birds will take what they can eat and fly away. But a, a human being will, gather up all the rice and take it home and store it for, you know, the next, you know, um, mm-hmm. so the greed, um, is, is very, yeah. Well, and, and greed uh, usually means at the expense of others. And Isha Upanishad says that we all have a quota and, uh, we can take our quota, but we shouldn't take more than our quota. Um, so Yeah. There's a lot to be said. So our time is up for this week, and we will dive more into Varnashrama uh, next week, and it goes on for a number of chapters. So for those, for some of you, start getting, uh, start gathering your tree bark, because it says that uh, Varnaprastha should wear tree bark. Okay, Andy, yeah. get your get your tree bark going. Okay. Yeah, very nice. I like that. All right. Thank Hare you. Krishna. Hare Krishna.